He had five large masses in her uterus. She went to a surgeon for a pre-operation checkup. He waved the ultrasound wand over her body, confirming five large masses live on the screen. The surgeon pointed them out to her, saying the only option was a full hysterectomy. See them here. He began to go over them a second time, pointing them out to her. As he pointed to the first one, it literally disappeared on the screen. Surprised, he went to the next one. It then disappeared under his waving. One by one, they each disappeared as he attempted to point them out. Flustered, he changed the equipment, but they could no longer find any masses. Finally, he said, there's absolutely no need for you or I to be here. Go home. <laughs> now, now three, so this is just like, just now three years later, there is no masses and cancer remains illegal in that woman's body. Yeah. I think we should make all kinds of things illegal in our lives. I like that. I really like that way of looking at it. It's fantastic. Uh, so I'd got you turning to the Bible, didn't I? So that's good. I've just got to find my... Uh, <laughs> I can't find my preach. <laughs> ah. I, ca- I can improvise. <laughs> here it comes, here it comes. There it is. You know how you say things to people and then all of a sudden it kind of sneaks up on you? unawares I was saying a few few weeks ago now I was talking about you know it's good to have teachers who've experienced what they teach because then you actually understand the text uh, rather than just the theory and I'm like yeah this is cool and and, and I want that well it, it happened to me so uh, some of you remember I've read this out a couple of times I'm just going to read the back end of it again this is Smith Wigglesworth a description of being in a prayer meeting with Smith Wigglesworth and uh, there's this guy who's, seen, who's heard this happen there's a load of leaders gather with him and they all pray their bit and then when he prays no one can handle it and they all start to leave the room so he determines when that happens I'm going to hang in there when he starts to pray he said the old saint began to pray and lift up his voice And strange as it may seem, the exodus began. So all these leaders start leaving the room. A divine influence began to to fill the place. The room became holy. The power of God began to feel like a heavy weight. With set chin and a definite decision not to budge, the only other one now left in the room hung on and hung on until the pressure became too great and he could stay no longer. With the floodgates of his soul pouring out streams of tears with an uncontrollable sobbing, he had to get out or die. And a man who knew God as few do was left alone, immersed in an atmosphere that few men could breathe in. I don't know, what's your high water mark on encounters with God? (laughs) There's always more, isn't there? Um, And and I read that and, and, and read... Bill Johnson's book on hosting the presence and thought I want more I want I want that I want it and, and yet I was finding quite a deep something going on inside me that was 
not responding to that, that desire. And I don't know if you remember when, um, some of you remember, when we kind of officially launched Sozo here, and uh, Alice and Lenny came, and, and she just did a mini Sozo thing with us. Sozo means saved, healed, delivered. For those of you who don't know, it's a ministry of uh, healing. And uh, she said, just, just see, you know, see the Father, and I was a complete blank. And I'm like, ooh, I think I need another Sozo. I mean, I've had a few, so don't worry about it, guys. I've had three, so just it's good for you to get, get healed up on the inside. But I thought, there's something wrong here. Something not connecting, something. And then, and then I'm reading this, and I'm, I'm, internally I'm pursuing. I'm, I'm, I'm wanting. I'm wanting to enter into more, and something's not not happening right and then uh, at the supernatural school so uh, a Tuesday night a couple of weeks ago in the worship God spoke to me really clearly and he basically said to the words to this effect that you're afraid if you get that close to me it's going to be scary and, and when you read those sort of stories and I've read lots of those stories kind of stories and revival stories over the years and you think and, and, and the connotation, it's not actually expressed fully there, but the connotation is that when you get close, you kind of get super aware of all your sin and you get broken and stuff. And it's, this, the edge of it is it actually, it's wonderful but slightly unpleasant or extremely unpleasant at the same time. Hence, nobody could hang around in a room. Am I, and that was kind of lodged somewhere inside of me that if it happens that amazingly, I'm just going to be just exposed. Yeah. You? Yeah. I don't know if anybody else has that kind of... I didn't, probably didn't realize that was running around in the back of my head, but it was. It was, and this is part of the kind of progress or blockage I was experiencing. So God said to me, that's what you think, and that's not true. He said to me in this worship time, he says, the closer you get to me... What you're overwhelmed by is my high opinion of you. And I'm like, eh? <laughs> so that's what this preach is about. Um, no fear in deeper encounters. I, I know I've said this before, but lots of people who are afraid of encountering God just need to have one. Um, but actually, sometimes we need a bit more help than that because if we're believing lies, we can sort of bounce off the experience. We can hold ourselves back and, and, and the, there is a, it is a two-way interaction. It is a relationship. Our, you know, it's not just about how much he wants to fill us. It's about how much we want him to fill us. He always wants to fill us and encounter us. And sometimes we believe things about that interaction that, are hindrances rather than helps, they're blockages rather than <coughs> things that clear the way. So here's, here's, a, here's a go. We've got those scriptures up. This is our kind of bouncing off point. We're going to look at a few scriptures. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the rule of the kingdom of the air. The Spirit was now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. 
even when we are dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressing his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's that's, as far we're going to go. But actually... Embedded in that is a, is a paradox. And a lot of Christians fall kind of more one side or the other of the paradox. Now, a paradox is a proposition that seems self-contradictory or maybe even absurd, but in reality expresses a possible truth. All right, you got that down? So the paradox in the scripture is we're objects of wrath. Well, whose wrath? Well, his. Yeah? We're aliens, we're, 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 we're children of disobedience, we're following the prince of the power of the air, we are by nature objects of wrath. What's focused on us, if you just stop there, is like hellfire and brimstone from heaven. Yeah? Next sentence, but God, but God, <laughs> but hang on a minute, it was God in the last sentence. But God, who is rich in mercy. <laughs> Thank God for that. <laughs> Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. So that's a paradox. Well, what am I? Am I, am I loved or am I at the burning end? <laughs> from the same dude, you know, from the same guy. The heavenly father is like, he's wanting to fry me or is he wanting to love me? And it's kind of like... And actually, you, you, if you look at Christ, there's probably two types of Christianity. You know, there's two types of everything. Sort of two, there's the, you know, there's the ones that is rooted in judgment. Even if love is on top of that, it's still on judgment, and that which is all kind of rooted in in love. And there's a difficulty we find of it's a paradox. How can God be expressing wrath to me and? So it was okay. It's not, I know it's not making sense yet, but it, because of the way I'm wired, this sort of stuff lives, kicks around on the inside of me, I'm realizing. And actually, what you believe about this kind of thing affects the way you relate to him. Is he, is he burning hot with anger or is he smiling and loving? You know, the smiley, lovey one, I'll be, I like to be near, but if he's just sort of hot with burning coals, it's like, I'm going to worship from a distance. It's just instinct, isn't it? It's like if you burn yourself on a hot plate, you don't go and put your hand on it again. You're looking at me like, yeah, Andy, we already got that already. We're just way ahead of you. I think the key, we're going to start, we're going to exegete the passage from the back, backwards. Sorry, Alan. But, <laughs> but it says that we're his workmanship. Yeah? We're his workmanship. Verse 10. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are all his workmanship. He had to show me this again. I, 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 just, I just want you to get this. I just want us to get this. We're his workmanship. Um, when Paul's preaching uh, on Mars Hill, he, he even says to, 
all these, these people who are worshipping gods they don't know and having all these philosophical debates, all these Greeks, he, he says to them, he says, we're his offspring. You know, saved and unsaved. People who love God and people who don't, we're all his offspring. When God made man, he made him in his image. Yeah, right in the garden, he made you in his image. And Paul, by implication in, in Acts 17, is saying, don't worship things made of stone on wood because actually God's more like you than a plank. He's actually personal and you're worshipping these images and these pieces of rock and actually God made man in his image. All of us were all his offspring. Awesome. If you've got time, uh, turn to Psalm 139 for me. 13. If you've got an electronic device or whatever, I don't know if we can even get it up on here, it'd be great. Yeah, so good. So it's going to be a little bit of a Bible study. doesn't have Psalm 119. That's a good psalm, but it's just not the right one. Sorry, 139, pardon me. That's confusion. Psalm 139. Glorious. Verse 13. Woo! You created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. This is God now, right? I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how fast are some of them. What, what I want you to see is actually God knew you before you were conceived. I'll say that again. God knew you before you were conceived, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, whether you love God or you couldn't care less or you're an atheist, he knew you before you were conceived. Somewhere in, in the midst of time past, God knew you as a distinct person, not as just a sort of vague mist. All right? God knew you. Before you were anybody's idea, you were his idea. And, and Ephesians 1, we, we won't go there, but it talks about how we were chosen in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. Now, however you kind of look at that from a, an election point of view, what he does tell you is before the world began, He knew you. He knew you. knew every one of us before the fall. Before sin came in, before we came marred and distorted and broken by sin, he knew all of us. For all time, for all mankind. Yeah? That's how big he is. Not only that, he knows the hair on everybody's head. That's quite amazing. He doesn't know all those billions of people. He knows all those billions of follicles. That's just <laughs> awesome. He even knows the ones that fall out. Yeah. No. <laughs> so he knows what he made you to be originally. 
He knows what he made me to be originally. And what I began to realize was what I believe was that God just loves me because he loves me. You've heard that phrase, yeah, he just loves you because he loves you. But that, I understand that, but what that does, it shifts. It's saying you don't really have any intrinsic value or anything about you that would make him love you. It all comes from him to you. Because you're dead, you're worthless, you're a son of disobedience. So all the stuff at the beginning of, the, of, of Ephesians 2 there, actually, when God looks at us, nothing, there's nothing appealing. It all, it's just out of him. Yeah? That's not true. But I, I believe that. And it affects, it will all, all come around at the end. It will make sense. Hang in. So I don't have anything to offer to make my salvation happen because I'm dead in sin. That's true. But that's not the same as me having something about me that engenders his affection toward me. I can't save myself. I can do nothing to get saved. It's all of grace. But he loves me because he sees in me what he put in me. He sees the original plan. Now distorted, but he sees it and he loves it. He sees you, he loves you, he made you, he thought about you before all the sin and shame broke in on the world. He had a plan for you, he had an image of you, he he had you in mind, who you were and what you were. He thought it was beautiful and he loves it. And he loves everybody on the planet the same. He sees them in their undistorted state. Are you tracking with me? Because this is exciting. Because if this is true, it's changing the way we do evangelism because actually what we're doing is we're calling people back to their original image. It's okay to prophesy over an unbeliever God's destiny for them because you're calling them into his original plan. All right? You're saying actually God's original plan and his redemptive action is more powerful than the sin that has corrupted the image that is in your life currently. You're awakening them to what God put in them before they were even born. Are you, are, you, are you making sense with me here? But it affects how we feel about us. We're treasures. We are his treasure. He's been looking for us. He came to seek and save the lost. And in fact, the, 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 there's that, that little parable where it talks about the kingdom is like this. And it says, a kingdom is like this. There's a man looking for treasure. And when he finds it, he sells everything he has and buys the field with the treasure in. And that's the value of the kingdom. It produces. Produces something. But the next parable, we can sometimes read it the same way, but actually it's talking about the pearl, and actually you're the pearl. And he's the seeker of things of value. And he's looking for you. So the paradigm for the gospel is the lost son, is the, is the prodigal. It's not just for backsliders, that's for the planet, for all lost sons. 
We all bear the image of the Father, but it's caked in mud. It's smelly. It's locked. We've all been in rebellion. And he's looking for us. He must have looked every day. Is, it, is this... Right, so it's, you're not nothing. You carry the image of the Almighty God in your life. It may have been corrupted. It may have been distorted. But he sees it. He loves it. He values it. And he gave his life to redeem it. And to pull out of you the original plan. The original likeness. The original image. I think that's a really good point. So remember our paradox? Remember our paradox? The paradox is, you in your fallen state is an, are an object of wrath. His wrath. But God, because of his love, his mercy, and his love for us, saves so a paradox often, often encapsulates a genuine truth. And here's the genuine truth. His love for who we are originally is stronger than his wrath on who we became. His love for who he made us and who he intended us to be and what he, what he envisaged, what he created, the seed that he had in his heart before, it, before the world was created. His love and passion for that is stronger than any wrath he may have on the fallen individual. It's overcome. Mercy has triumphed over judgment. At the cross, love and mercy meet, and judgment is satisfied, and mercy triumphs, and we are rescued to be the originals God made us to be. How amazing is he that he created a weather system that means that billions and billions and billions and billions and trillions and squillions and gazillions of snowflakes can fall and no one of them is the same. Well, the God who made that weather system is a father who somehow in the, in the womb of eternity birthed every one of us to be a unique individual with a unique pattern and unique set of visions, desires, and dreams. And he loves it and he's wanting to redeem it. He wants, he's calling us back to the original design. Of his purpose. <laughs> and everyone's different. Everyone's beautiful. Everyone's amazing. And everyone's unique. <laughs> his love. For who he intended you to be. Who he created to you, you to be. Stronger than his wrath on what you became. Ooh. Mercy triumphs. Over judgment. You happy yet? Okay. So, so. So, Christ died to restore us all to God's original intention and design. The sacrifice for love's sake for all, was for all his lost children. The cross released favor on the planet. 
So we're living in an environment and a time and a, and a season now post the cross where we can call everybody back to their original design because God released grace on the planet, not judgment because of the cross and the resurrection. So we can deliver the smile of the Father and the call to original design to everybody that's out there. That's the gospel. (laughs) I'm getting happy. This is good. So the over, this is my second, that was the first point. We are his offspring, designed in him before the foundation of the world, and he loves that. Even through the corruption and sin and brokenness, he loves that, and he's calling that out of us. And he died on a cross, Jesus died on a cross, that it could be possible for us to be restored to our original design. Number two, the overwhelming, I can't, couldn't think of a pithy thing. <laughs> the overwhelming aspect of deep encounters with him will not be the exposure of my sin, but the connection to his true opinion of me. Yeah, it's a bit of a long sentence. The overwhelming aspect or experience of deep encounters with him will not be the exposure of my sin, but the connection to his true opinion of me. I've got Bible verses. I can see you doubters and waverers. I've got Bible verses. Uh, you want to look at 1 John 4? got too many Bible verses, but it's good. It's good that we have Bible verses. 1 John 4, 16. Uh, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. But he isn't wrath. He is wrathful, but he isn't wrath. God is love. That's the overwhelming aspect of his nature. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. So we can say that he is in a good mood. (laughs) All the time with you and your neighbor. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in, in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love. Can we say that together? There is no fear in love. Let's say it again. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. What I realized was I was afraid of getting closer. If I'm afraid of getting closer to God then I, don't, I, I need a deeper understanding and experience that he loves me. That's what this is saying. If fear is present, it's because love has not driven it out. And I think it's the Amplified. It says, love kicks fear out of doors. I love that. <laughs> but 
what, when I'm, I'm wanting more of him, I want a deeper encounter with him, and actually what I'm finding is a fear response. Is, well, if I do that, it's going to be scary because I will be exposed. I will feel guilty. I, I will be, I have all my sin, and I'll just be a one big ball of snot for a week. If I have that, you know, all my bodily functions will release just because I... But, but if that fear... But I, I, that's what I was afraid of. I'm, I'm not, you know, I know it's funny, but it's also, and some of you may be like that too. I don't know, you may be way ahead of me on this one. But, but actually, the, the issue for fear is that I know love. I know that he loves me. At a level that does away with any fear of, in, of encountering him. There's no fear in love. And God is love. So how can it be a fearful thing to encounter him? And fear has to do with punishment. If we still think that he's kind of like the teacher with a ruler, and when we get close, the first thing he's going to do is wrap our knuckles that we didn't do our homework. You know, and so he'll put a big list out of how many people we didn't share the gospel with, how many, how many times we didn't pray, and, da, 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 and then we'll get closer. Then we've misunderstood the gospel. There is no punishment. It all happened at the cross. Every bit got downloaded. When you come to God, He's not coming to you to punish you or me. Hallelujah. The cross took care of the nasty stuff. All of the nasty stuff. Just say with me, all of the nasty stuff. The cross took care of all my nasty stuff. Let's say that together. The cross took care of all my nasty stuff. All my nasty stuff. You may remember it. He doesn't. So why would he bring it out when you get close to him? Your sins and iniquities I'll remember no more. He can't bring it out because it's not present. Hello? You're remembering them, but he isn't. So how can he bring it out when you get close? Because he's like, well, well, what sins? What failures? He'll be nonplussed. He'll be like, Angels, go check the records. They'll go away. They'll come back. There's nothing in there. There's a lot of blood, but it's Jesus' blood, so it's fine. (laughs) Jesus took care of all your nasty stuff. The cross took care of all your nasty stuff. The cross took care of everybody else's nasty stuff. Even if you don't believe it, he still took care of it for the day that you do believe it. Romans 6, verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing or done away with so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Our old self (coughs) My old self is dead. It hung on a cross. Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. 
God is not in the business of resurrecting my old man, my old sins, my old failings. He believes he did a good job. Come on. He didn't do a partial redemption of you. I only get to sin if I resubmit to sin. It doesn't have power over me and it isn't my nature anymore. It got nailed, literally. All the life bled out of it on the cross. The closer you get to God, can we have a 1 John 3, 2 and 3? this verse it's worth having this verse in even if it's not relevant to the preach it's just so good (laughs) it is relevant to the preach honest dear friends now we are children of God that's good news and what we will be is not yet made known so there's like we're kids but are we going to be super kids anyway But we know this. This is what we know. When he appears, we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. So the principle is the more you see him, the more you're like him, not the more you're aware of your rubbish. Two Corinthians three eighteen says, "We be when we behold Him, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom." We were singing that, and when we behold Him, wow, this is amazing! Boom, there it is. And we, with unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So you see Him, you become like Him, and you become like Him because you see Him. And two things are happening at the same time. Seeing him is pulling out of you who you have been created to be. It's not like it's all installing, it's actually revealing. It's not like getting something we don't have. And there's an element of that because he comes and he fills us. But it's also pulling out of us all that he originally created us to be. So the, the greater exposure to him you have, the greater revelation of you you get. His purpose is not to show you up, it's to show you off. Because all of creation is waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. Not for the revelation of of your old life. That was nailed. End. Finished. 2,000 years ago. Over. Every encounter is meant 
to bring us to a fuller place of understanding, experience, and displaying our true nature as children of God who have a unique destiny which he carved out in eternity past and he's pulling out of us in the present. He's restoring us to our original design, which is to be like him on the planet, glory carriers with our own features, our own dreams, our own sense of, of purpose. So in Christianity, we've taught that actually to deny yourself is to give up on all your dreams, and that isn't right. Because there's stuff in you that was installed in eternity past that he wants. That's a legitimate aspiration. Needs redeeming. Yeah, so it may have got colored by your opinions, abuse, damage, sin, brokenness. But somewhere in there, there is something, there's germs and seeds of what he intended and what he's made you for. And every time we meet him and the closer we get to him and the freer we get, the more the authentic stuff starts to come out. The more the untainted and the unselfish, glorious dreams that are in us starts to come out. God wants you. He really wants you. He loves what he's put in you. He loves what he's made you. He wants you. He wants to grab you, hold you, embrace you, encounter you, smother with his love, and put you on a glorious display to the planet and say, look at my treasured ones. He wants to show you off so everybody knows how great it is when you get in touch, back in touch with that. It's an incredibly positive gospel. Everything's glowing and glorious. Some people say it's too good to be true. No, it's just true. But it is incredibly good. And often, because it sounds too good to be true, we've shrunk it. Can't possibly be this good. No, it is. And we've stayed under some of the old, some of the old covenants, some of the old condemnations, some of the old judgment, some of the old fears. Because we just feel like this is too outrageously good. Well, get used to it. It's too outrageously good. Because if we feel it's judgment, then we dish out judgment. If we feel it's condemnation, then we dish out condemnation. But the more we receive his mercy and his love and we realize who we are and how precious we are to him, the more we give away that stuff and, and we start to call the planet back to its original design because we realize we've been called back to our original design and that Jesus was a model of us, not for us. So he is the first example of what it's possible to live like redeemed to your original design. He's the untainted version and it's God saying, this is what you all can be. This is what I've made you all to be. Right, this is something you get when you're good enough. This is something you get before the foundation of the earth. <laughs> it's like one day I'll graduate to be really me. No. <laughs> is, is this making anybody happy? 
So this is the fruit of two encounters, and I got rewired on one, God loves me just because he loves me. No, he loves me because he loves, he likes me. The stuff in me that he goes, well, I just think you're amazing, you're lovely, you make me love you because of what's in you. That's scary in a good way. Wouldn't it be terrible in a marriage if, you know, the husband was always saying to the wife, well, I really love you, but I just love you because I love you. I don't actually like you. There's nothing about you that I'm just this incredibly altruistic being that just loves horrible people. So I married you just to demonstrate how incredibly loving I am all the time. How far would that marriage go? And here, because I love you, you know, here's some flowers, because this is what I do to horrible people. We know this is, we know that doesn't work. And God's made us like him. He's a relational being. And he says, I love you because there's something in you that I love. And then that makes us feel good. And then he puts such a value on it that he sends his own son to How much do I love it? A life is what I'd give for that. So that knocks that, that lie over. And you think, wow, God really likes me. He wants me to cuddle up close. It's not just good for me, it's something he wants. And then to realize as that happens, what he's going to do is pull out of me who I really am. I'm going to be overwhelmed by his high opinion of me. Oh, oh bring it on. <laughs> this will change the church because the church has thought it was weak and broken and small and, you know, we're just a load of sinners trying to get to heaven. And it isn't true. Heaven's invaded you. is a happy message. God likes you. He's always liked you. In fact, he's liked you for longer than you knew you were you. Go figure that, eh? So actually, his opinion is superior in every way, but it's also superior because it's been there longer. You just made yours up recently. He's known forever what you're like. Well, you know, I'm not very good at this, and why would he use me? And, you know, he's like, he's known for millennia that you're amazing. You know, 25 years of thinking you're rubbish. (laughs) (laughs) He's pulling out of us. He's putting glory on us, and he's pulling his image out of us. He's pulling his original design through to full display. (laughs) I'm just going to keep saying the same things because it's good. (laughs) Um, I feel something. This feels good. Anybody else just think this is good? I mean, you're not flattering me. I'm just just like, Father God, this is good. 
thank you, thank you. You like what you made. <laughs> surprise, surprise. You paid a big price to redeem it, to recover it, to buy it back from the slave market, for cleaning it, clean us up, give us freedom. And you're not scary. You're good.